Decoding Future Leadership is an audiovisual podcast breaking open the capabilities, technologies, growth strategies, and mental fitness required to lead our future working world. A collaboration between PeopleStrong, the customer's choice for HR tech across Asia Pacific, and Fisher Leadership, each episode addresses the challenges of a hybrid workforce with a blend of human capability and HR technology solutions. Let's get into this week's episode. Hello everyone, I'm Pip Youngman. It's my pleasure to welcome today's guest to the Decoding Future Leadership podcast, Sandeep Chowdhury. Sandeep is the CEO of PeopleStrong and says, as an organisation, they have always believed that employees are the real consumer of HR tech. As such, they invested early on in an AI-enabled, scalable and mobile-first architecture for their technology, which is offered to enterprises across Asia-Pac. Sandeep is an experienced business leader with deep functional expertise in human capital and business management. It's a pleasure to have him on the show today. Welcome, Sandeep. Thank you, Pip. What a pleasure to get into this conversation with you. So, Sandeep, we have known each other in a past life, and your work life now is in a very different field, moving from consulting to a fast-growing HR tech business at PeopleStrong. It would be great to hear about the transition that you've made. What's the same and, and what's different? Yeah, you know, Pip, um, honestly, uh, when I look around, uh, nearly about 23 years that I've essentially been working, I think the most wonderful part of my career has been to find countless opportunities to work with some amazing people, amazing people as my colleagues and amazing people as clients that I've really had an opportunity to essentially serve in my consulting career and now in the world of technology with people strong. And along the way, uh, you know, uh, made some wonderful lifelong friendships. Uh, and that's the reason why you and I are here in a conversation. It was wonderful to meet with you while I was at uh, Aeon. It was very inspiring to see how you essentially built and scaled and regionalized a business like Pivot uh, Software. Uh, that still stays as an inspiration for me. Many decisions that I essentially take today in People Strong. I do go back to how you were essentially envisaging and evangelizing your journey uh, along with Pivot and uh, and the scale of that. Um, 17 years at Aeon managing uh, a large business, large brand, large firm was possibly one of the most uh, exciting part of my life. And to be able to do it in the most vibrant part of the planet uh, which is in the emerging parts of Asia Pacific, Middle East, Africa, was very, very exciting. While I was in Aeon, I obviously was from a bit of a distance witnessing the entire the digital transformation that was taking place and reshaping our society, education, the future as our children were looking into, into, into the world uh, 10, 5, 10, 15 years ahead of them how businesses were essentially transforming. I obviously was very fascinated by it, uh, wanted to be a part of it, uh, but could only do as much from Aeon. And I really thought the best way to get into it uh, was to jump straight into the world of tech. There was a bit of a fear of missing out that was kind of setting in me. Uh, Aeon was on a brilliant trajectory and I thought that was a wonderful time for me to step aside and almost end up reinventing myself as many organizations and countries and economies are reinventing themselves around 
uh, limitless opportunity that the technology is essentially throwing, uh, throwing at the world. I came on board at People Strong in January 2020. Uh, Ten weeks later, we were in a lockdown at home. Nothing that I would have ever anticipated or are prepared for. Uh, but again, uh, yet again, I guess I was lucky to be at the right place at the right time, uh, having something to offer to the world which they needed the most at that point in time. So it has just been a wonderful journey of uh, thrill, excitement, and immense gratitude to just have the opportunity that I've had so far. You're, you speak a lot about... Um jumping in feet first into the HR tech. But of course, there's a lot of people um, that sit around this technology and we're delivering to uh, to a people problem, right? And so <clears throat> as a CEO, what, what has COVID done for you in terms of how you have to do things differently as a CEO now? Yeah, you know, honestly, I think uh, there is no tutorial, uh, even today, as we've lived through the pandemic for nearly about 24 months, uh, that how to lead an organization or an enterprise amidst a pandemic, a global pandemic. So uh, I guess the pressure of doing that is is as an understatement of the century. But jokes apart, uh, it certainly has provided me an opportunity, and I think all the leaders right now, which is once in a generation kind of an opportunity for CEOs and leaders to evolve the nature and, and impact of their role. It's truly been a beautiful balance and a rather very precarious balance to essentially create between employee welfare and well-being because that really came right at the center uh, when we saw the virus and the crisis and, and the scare that we're essentially creating for not just the livelihood, but more importantly, even for the lives. Uh, and then actually be able to look at the crisis uh, go back to the old age adage of don't waste a crisis and understand what do we have in our business right now? What can we do that will help us maximize the opportunity? And I do believe that almost every well-taught business had to go back onto re-looking at their purpose and finding that to be the most energizing statement of sorts. Because maybe in the near term, all the right decisions that you would have essentially taken on your business, on your employees, would have not necessarily created immediate commercial returns for yourself or for your shareholders. But clearly in the mid, near and the long term, those were the right decisions to essentially take. Now, imagine a situation uh, right after 10 months of me started me having started with People Strong, millions of employees around the world, including about 2,000 of the People Strong employees, were sent home. They were connecting from wherever they were. Uh, and there were organizations who immediately had a fear of uh, lack of control, massive losses in productivity and performance. They really didn't know how to collaborate with employees, how to bring them together, and so on and so forth. And at that point in time, there were many things that essentially overnight just came out to be our priceless currencies that organizations really had to harness to stay relevant, stay connected, not just with their employees, but with their suppliers, with their clients, and so on and so forth. And I do believe that it was the realization at that point in time that the, 
that the world saw that one of the very strong pillars of organizational culture, which is about the infrastructure outside of the other two, which is leadership and people practices, infrastructure was not about having those great office buildings and everything that we essentially provided to our employees within those buildings in terms of uh, every tool and, and every other element of infrastructure that was enhancing the engagement, improving their productivity, the way they were able to collaborate and so on and so forth. And that was a role that got very quickly replaced by technology, work tech or HR tech, whatever we really want to be able to call them. And again, I found that to be a very, very powerful objective to go back and reconnect with our purpose, which is to bring joy, meaning and energy to work and say, okay, so what are we going to be doing first for our 2000 employees approximately, and then be able to connect with uh, about 1.5 million of our client employees that we essentially service across multiple geographies. Uh, really, if I was to sum up, I guess the CEO's role or the leader's role in the society was to bring in a broader emotional and a human dimension to the decisions that they were supposed to take and take those decisions when they themselves were quite wet behind the ears. They didn't know as much as they actually knew about the elements that they had practiced for multiple times over. And this is really for the first time that I do believe almost a strategy or a lack of it, the way you would like to interpret, where you had to throw in the morning about 10 things on the wall, hoping a couple of them are going to stick. And that's really the ones that you will persist for maybe the next one month or two months and then reevaluate and so on and so forth. So I guess the resilience, the nimbleness and the ability to call out vulnerability as strength rather than a limitation was a game that came at the forefront of how leadership had to come and engage with their people because certainly it was not the CEOs who had all of the smart answers. Things weren't really very rosy, I guess, for anyone, whether you were in technology, which obviously ended up benefiting the most out of uh, the crisis, or you were in healthcare, uh, or you were in manufacturing, uh, which in my opinion actually had uh, the biggest challenge. It's easy for us to connect the white collar workforce, the so-called knowledge workers through technology, make them very functional, get them very used to the new way of work and so on and so forth. Uh, but what do, the, what do you do about the workforce which is sitting in the factories? Uh, they still need to come into the plants. The plants need to open up. They need to yank their uh, engines and machines to essentially get into the mode of manufacturing. And uh, irrespective, I think, whichever part of the sector you essentially came in from, uh, you did find uh, a brilliant opportunity to turn the crisis on its head. And it's been very, very evident. Uh, eight months out of the first lockdown, we clearly saw businesses, organizations across every segment that turned back at the start line stronger, leaner, more agile, and having something even more compelling to offer to the world, while exactly the same organizations with the same kind of employees competing in the same market uh, were kind of struggling because they either did little or the little that they did was actually eroding value because how they just focused on the near term and not for the long term. 
And do you see, I guess, um, you know, our research feeds are talking a lot about this great resignation. So people are re-evaluating what work means to them. And, uh, you know, you spoke a little bit about those that um, are now coming back stronger and those that are weak. So this is real, really that um, workforce imbalance or the talent economy really starting to work, where the employee has a much stronger um, say in what happens next. So how can individ how can organisations that that haven't bounced back strong, how can they make up um, for that lost time quickly enough to not um, now have another crisis on their hands, which is all about their people? Yeah. Uh, you know, honestly, Pip, I, uh, I'm quite embarrassed about the great resignation because I think in many ways it tells us the story of how, again, the leaders and organisations um, were just very, very knee-jerk and short-term in their reaction. Uh, the response was not just thought through uh, they were very quick to focus on employee cost. Uh, and the way they reacted is the way they just completely lost trust with current and prospective employees. Uh, honestly, uh, the great resignation is a reality check. Uh, again, that HR is not to be managed for the downturn, it is to be managed for the long term. You clearly got to be able to stick out your neck at points in time, manage the shareholders, talk to the street on what's important for the long term success of the business and effective communication, I guess, coming in from the CEO, from the board, from the leaders, unanimously being very, very consistent in the messages that they really want to be able to take to all of their stakeholders in many cases was kind of missing. Uh, and even, unfortunately, the ones that did a great job of it were caught in this entire whirlwind of the great resignations because one thing leads to the other. And then everybody started to talk about the transactional wins that employees were having because of the great resignation. There were great salaries. The salary inflation in many functions and several scale areas has just gone through the roof, which I think is very, very unsustainable. And again, the companies that are making those mistakes will be the first ones to yet again embarrass themselves in a period of another 24 to 36 months when they wouldn't be able to make commercial sense of the cost that they've essentially mounted on wages. Mm -hmm. That was one. The second really also was that organizations, I do believe, are still living in a bit of a notion of a post-pandemic world. Uh, they're still hoping that all of this will kind of end and we will be back to our normal self. A normal self was what they were doing back. And I constantly keep saying what we were doing previously was not normal. Many of that had to change. And if we don't look at this pandemic, a great reason or an opportunity for us to reevaluate a lot of it in terms of the definition of work, the definition of workplace, and the kind of workforce that we really want to be able to bring in. Then again, in my opinion, we kind of very quickly losing out on the opportunity to re-engage ourselves in a very meaningful way. All said and done, uh, COVID and the pandemic did get people to reflect a li little bit more deeply about their lives and work lives. And how do they really want to be able to create a better balance of uh, 
finding their own personal purpose. Uh, for example, I certainly went through a lot of self-discovery uh, in this phase um, of just knowing a lot of what I was doing in the in the in the pre-pandemic world was so unnecessary, so non-value adding that it constantly just kind of kept me away from the things that actually made a bigger difference and a far more significant, brought significant meaning uh, to either my professional existence or my personal existence uh, and so on and so forth. So even today when I guess people are looking at uh, the pandemic reshaping the definition of work, workplace and workforce, uh, I'm not too sure how many organizations are actually ready to bring in employees that would want to engage very differently the way they've essentially engaged with their employees in the pre-pandemic world. Uh, there's been a massive exodus from the cities into smaller places, getting closer to nature, uh, improving the overall quality of life. We clearly saw sitting in crowded cities was, was unnecessary, expensive, and taking a very different kind of a stress on our lives. Uh, clearly, I guess, eroding uh, a good quality of life that I guess everybody deserves. Um, and when I look at the systems that organizations have, when I look at the policies that they've essentially been framing, which have been very, very interim, uh, again, I do feel uh, it is all just to manage through the pandemic. And very quickly, the, most, the moment the pandemic is over, we like to go back to our original ways of working. And I think that's going to be the reason why the great resignation in many ways will continue. Uh, people have realized that it's not just uh, money that can get me to work with an organization. There is a lot more of a holistic balance that I, I expect my employers to create uh, for me. I'm willing to take two steps forward, but I need support. I need infrastructure. Uh, and for that, I'm willing to manage my own expectations around uh, around compensation and many other elements. Um, so I do believe there is a little bit more thought required from enterprises as they look at uh, how some of the things should actually change forever and for the better. It's interesting you say that and you talk about organizations wanting to go back to the way things were before. Uh, I also wonder, um, is there a honeymoon period on this um, remote working? And, I, you know, I feel perhaps um, that hybrid model of a little bit in the office, a little bit at home is likely to be where we settle. I, I worked remotely for many years in the course of my work life, and it can actually be quite isolating at times uh, in that you often find that your work interactions are quite formal and planned and structured and you have this Zoom fatigue. So your social interactions and your social relationship building within a work environment is a lot more difficult. So um, so some people are still celebrating this newfound freedom, but I wonder, you know, how do you see it? Um, where do you think it will land for likes of um, People Strong? And how do we keep that, that heart of People Strong beating strong um, as we move into right. this new world? Yeah. Yeah, you know, uh, I couldn't agree more. I don't think uh, it is wise for us to replace one dogma with another. Uh, clearly, I guess organizations have to be significantly more agile. They have to bring in more flexibility. They have to bring in more, mo more mobility for 
remote work uh, and create a hybrid dynamic workforce and also the entire infrastructure to essentially be able to manage that. Uh, but even for hybrid, um, you've got to be very clear of for what reasons and which employees are you essentially bringing to work, whether it's going to be a few days in a week or a few days in a month and so on and so forth. And how do you look at the entire of the policy uh, and the process infrastructure around that? More importantly, how do you create a very seamless HR tech environment for employees and their managers to constantly be connected in a way that there is absolutely no loss of productivity, performance, learning opportunity, collaboration opportunities, and so on and so forth. The fact of the matter is that as everyone has been trying to get their arms around uh, the remote work management, one of the elements that has suffered the most with organizations is the element of innovation, which is slightly abstract, is slightly unstructured. It comes when you are uh, together, not necessarily sitting in a very laboratory kind of an environment to actually just come out of a great idea and be able to execute that. But uh, many a times the office that we were in uh, gave you that environment. There were lots of conversations that happened uh, in that corner uh, along with the coffee machine. <clears throat> There's lots that just happened when you were traveling with employees and with your colleagues uh, to go and see a client. Uh, that was unstructured time. And that has been a massive loss uh, in, in this environment of 100% moving remote. But I do believe there are many organizations. I guess we just got to be able to look at how enterprises in the West have actually been looking at remote and a hybrid work environment for over a decade. They were not necessarily waiting for the pandemic to essentially happen. Uh, it is more in, I guess, the emerging parts of the world where this shift has actually been a little bit more dramatic because of, of pandemic. Uh, and it hasn't really given so much of time both to organizations as well as employees to kind of settle down. At the same time, almost every business that I've seen over the last 24 months had overinvested in technology only to realize that much of that is not very functional in the new way of work. Uh, it's, it's, it's actually um, uh, not giving me a great view of analytics so that I can take data-driven decisions as opposed to just lead my enterprise, my people, uh, and what we really want to be able to offer the world basis a sense of judgment. Um, and those are the elements that I do believe, Pip, uh, can very quickly be solved through a uh, uh, through a, through a technology landscape that can provide for an experience, a data-driven decision-making uh, process in an organization, and actually great degree of empowerment that you can create literally for every employee working for your organization. Uh, you are a witness of that. You've been evangelizing that for, for people strong in, in the Pacific market where the talent operating system uh, that we are ready to offer to the world is fundamentally gonna be integrating all very disparate and distributed data points on an employee life cycle of an individual and then be able to help that person take the right decisions on his or her career and so on and so forth. 
at the same time, there is enough and more of real-time collaboration, which is possible on platforms like the one that you and I are engaging on right now. Uh, overlay this with what PeopleStrong has with Zippy, and you would see that you're able to break a very unstructured conversation into a set of tasks, goals, uh, and create a very free-flowing review and a governance mechanism without having to appraise an individual every time you come for a review conversation. Uh, and again, you know, I think as you rightly said at the start of the question, we have to figure out a great balance in this hybrid work environment as opposed to uh, not like one part of the hybrid equation uh, and just have a lot more preference towards the other. Uh, because if that's the way we're going to approach the hybrid and be very hypocritical about it, we will ultimately push the word towards what we actually prefer. And I do believe that that will be an absolute showstopper for us to engage with definitely the young, bright people who are far more secure of what they bring to the table, uh, what's the kind of balance that they're essentially looking at. And if at all, I guess the last 24 months have only brought more clarity to to those, to those very young and fearless people. This podcast is created by Fisher Leadership and proudly sponsored by PeopleStrong. And also the, you know, this whole idea of globalisation of talent. Um, so here in New Zealand in particular, it, it's always been a thing for our um, young graduates to, um, to finish their study and take off overseas and and learn some skills globally and then come back. So they have been sitting around waiting for these opportunities for the last two or three years. Um, but I, I don't see yet organisations really jumping onto the fact that, uh, you know, we have got a workforce here now that, that might be off uh, and how do we go about retaining them? And this globalisation uh you know, work from anywhere approach, I think, is the answer. But but do you think economies and, and organizations have actually cottoned on to that yet? I'll tell you my personal example. Uh, at the start of the pandemic, uh, we had about five locations in India and across Southeast Asia. Uh, 24 months into, into this pandemic, we've got nine locations. Uh, all of our employees were just sitting out of these five locations uh, in the pre-pandemic world. Uh, today, our employees are sitting in over 15 different locations. In fact, as we've essentially gone on a massive recruitment drive, as we're ramping up for huge amount of growth over the next three to four years, uh, where are you coming in from? What city do you prefer sitting in? is only a piece of information that's actually not been contingent to how we want to hire. In fact, we've only been concerned, uh, how will we take care of this employee in that particular location from a healthcare standpoint, uh, from setting up technology infrastructure for that individual and so on and so forth. In fact, we've completely opened up. Now, I must also say that as, why, as we've completely opened up to the world, uh, we are a little concerned about how we will be able to get our arms around all of this and what will this mean from maybe a futuristic standpoint of taxation, legislation, what kind of policies do we need to provide so that 
when we need that hybrid work to kind of kick in and we want some of these people to come uh, for a very short period of time, collaborate, get something done, and then go back into the locations, how will that pan out? What could be the cost implications of some of that and so on and so forth? Should that be co-shared? But I do feel that uh, I'm a lot less fearful of the unknown today than what I was about 24 months back because all that I've just grappled with over the last 24 months has been something that was never known to me before. So is this the right thing? Is this what an employee prefers? Is this in any which way helping me deliver more to my client? Uh, are we getting more than what we got previously? If the answer to most of these questions is yes, and then there is just a bit of a legislation and a policy and a other kind of a framework that has to get sorted out, which we don't know right now. I guess that to me is an easier part and we should sort it out. Just because I don't have an answer for that doesn't mean I miss out on doing the right thing for our employees and for our clients and to be able to maximize their creative juices. Uh, in fact, I'm also rather rethinking saying, What's the point of being in these big cities, having to get my most creative people, my engineers, my product evangelists, travel up and down the city uh, for at least two hours every day, and then I think they're going to be more innovative and creative working in my offices? Uh, it's a bit of a question mark in my own head. Uh, but I guess we are actually looking more of these answers from our young employees uh, rather than uh, people like me who might very quickly have a bias to snap and go back to what I know best. Uh, and that's something that I've been doing for the last 23 years. And um, that certainly should not be the case. I was reading something the other day that talked about uh, the on-site as the new off-site. I thought that's interesting. We are where instead of going off-site for your, for your innovation conversations, that you're bringing everyone, everyone back to the office and creating, you know, you, you have uh, maybe a guest speaker and you have um, a learning opportunity and then you have um, breakouts for innovation and, and those sorts of discussions. I thought that was interesting. Well, no, absolutely. And uh, so, for example, we've kind of reallocated budgets for our managers and they certainly have more budgets now that we've kind of freed our capital from real estate, uh, how is that they really want to be able to use those budgets to bring people in whenever they feel it's safe, whenever they feel it's required for a particular reason, uh, how effectively can they engage with people outside of work and so on and so forth. Uh, many a times it might not just be bringing people into, into your headquarter locations, it could actually be meeting at, um, at a beach resort. Um, so I guess there are there are different ways, but one has to go through the motions over the next two to three years uh, to settle in with what will work best for the employees and for the businesses. I am a fundamental and a very strong uh, proponent of the fact that if I'm able to make it work for my employees, they will do whatever it is in their capacity to make it work for my clients. Uh, and I guess that equation and that flow of decision making in my head has been very clear for the last 23 years. And I don't think it should be any different as I'm grappling with relatively a lot more unknown elements um, as we even set up 
the new definition of our workforce, our workplace, and so on and so forth. We clearly have been a lot more open to engaging with, uh, with not just full-time employment. In fact, that has got us to save money, uh, get a lot more done, uh, at the same time access people that we anyways couldn't afford full-time. Uh, so it has raised the bar in literally every sense uh, of the equation. Now, my HR was rather quick to challenge and say, how are we going to pay them? How are we going to monitor their performance, their productivity? What are they going to get as a yield? Uh, some of them are going to be expecting uh, a weekly uh, payment out from People Strong and so on and so forth. And my response was, listen, if that's really what you're asking, that's exactly what our clients are going to ask very soon. So why don't we get our payroll and our HR tech ready in order to actually help organizations deal with all of these questions that you're essentially asking me? Uh, just because we don't have those answers doesn't mean I don't do this and somebody else does it. And then we try and be uh, rather the followers rather than the leaders of innovation in that particular space. And the fact of the matter is, Pip, that very little of technology has actually been built to manage this crowdsourced talent that can work and engage from anywhere uh, and anytime. And how do you pay them? How do you set their goals? How do you create a collaboration infrastructure? Uh, every element of payroll, of talent management, of the HRIS core, leave time and attendance, and so on and so forth, needs to have an accommodation for this diverse workforce. Uh, and again, as I said, uh, we've been very quick to bring that into our tech as a new development and actually be uh, the first ones to go out and offer uh, to our clients, uh, which has not only eased our lives internally, but also uh, be able to help hundreds of clients who had very similar questions as we had. I think it's oh, it, it's a very similar story, you know, passionate about solving your own problem. And so that in turn solves everyone else's. So uh, it, it helps you with your storytelling as you go forward as well, doesn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, we know for a fact that in today's world, uh, where we are indeed living in a talent economy, it's not capital which is scarce. Uh, it is really the scarcity of talent that could impede your business growth, your ability to service your customers, and so on and so forth. So uh, you really have to prioritize literally every decision in an enterprise basis, what gets me to serve my employees better. Um, and as I said earlier, if you do that well, uh, they will find different, very innovative and very intimate ways to service their clients. I keep telling our client success team, uh, I will take care of your success. Uh, and I know that you will do whatever it takes to take care of our client success. Uh, and uh, I can't be in touch with 300 plus of our clients personally but I can certainly be in touch with my set of leaders and managers who in turn do the best job of engaging and managing expectations and creating a brilliant infrastructure, enabling and empowering our employees, who in turn will replicate exactly that to build a very, very customer-centric environment in the context of people's trust. 
And the, you know, you spoke about really truly understanding our talent and the focus of that moving from what what do I need for this job to actually say what are the skills and capabilities I need and the job becomes almost secondary. So you're 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 almost splitting people up and under truly understanding what's in their skills DNA um, in order to take organisations forward, which I think is is quite a um, this has been a mind shift that's had to happen, right, with this whole talent economy. Oh, absolutely. You know, talent economy is, uh, I do believe it has, uh, it has three very, very strong foundational pillars to it. Uh, one element is for us to very quickly bring data in the center of every decision that an employee can take for himself or herself. Uh, so I don't need to be guided by what someone else is doing because a lot essentially gets done when we live in the world of comparison. I rather live in a very reality, uh, in a very real world where the data can tell me what are the things that I'm good at, what are the kind of opportunities that exist in this organization, what is my best chance to uh, be successful at what kind of opportunities? What learning, inf what learning programs do I need to access? What's the gap between my current and the desired requirement of capabilities, competence required to do the job that I aspire to do? Who are the other people in my, in my one or two degrees of separation who have taken that journey and successfully uh, lived that journey uh, previously? Now look at if an employee is able to look at all of this data and then take a decision, the chances of his or her success making the right call is gonna be tremendous. And for an employer, for an organization, for a bunch of managers and leaders, they at a press of a button will actually be able to find uh, the right people to take up newer roles, Almost 80 to 90% of the succession planning, the career planning, the new job creation will essentially be met through the diversity of talent that I already have within my enterprise rather than go outside looking for people, hire people at a higher cost and so on and so forth. So that data is very, very integral. The second is a lot more about experience and I constantly keep talking about if every business really wants to be the most customer-centric business, I'm yet to come across any organization that says we don't care about our customers. Uh, if that's really that you want to do, you can't deliver to a customer-centric vision if you are fundamentally not a very people or an employee-centric organization. I can't be expecting to be running a, a five-star hotel that will give great personalized service to every guest that walks into the door, but I'm not gonna give that personalized service to my employees who are expected to deliver that service. It just seems very oxymoronish in that sense. The reason despite doing everything, we've seen that the engagement in the hospitality sector uh, just is, is directly proportional to the, to the customer SAT scores that they have. Poor customer SAT scores, poor employee engagement scores. Uh, so the experience is very critical. Deliver 
employee-centricity to be able to become a lot more customer-centric as an enterprise. And the third is freedom. And I do believe the freedom is to let go of that control, to bring in more and to expect more from your employees. And I think when we're talking about flexibility, when we're talking about a hybrid work environment, uh, when we're talking about an eight-hour shift and so on and so forth, we have to re-look at everything and your HR tech should ideally be able to provide that flexibility so that you're able to engage and help find the balance that everybody needs to find at an individual level between their work and their life. Uh, the lines are clearly very blurred. I can't hold my employer accountable for messing up my work-life balance. I need to find that balance myself and all that I expect from my employer is to help me with that flexibility. Uh, and, and we've seen that technology offers a lot of that. Uh, now you can use that to control and to be, be very, very review focused, or you, can, or you can use that to set accountabilities, let go and be very governance focused. Uh, the same technology that we offer gets used very differently to create a very different culture in, with our clients. And uh, I've seen one thrive and one constantly struggle because they're just not able to cope up with the change within themselves and they will never see the change uh, outside of themselves. And so this whole focus that you spoke about today is a lot about um, employee centricity and giving freedom and all of that sort of thing. Uh, I, one of the things that COVID has taken away from us is our freedom to travel and be together, uh, Sandeep. So, so personally, moving forward, um, when you haven't been able to land in your new countries that we've that People Strong has landed in, um, you know, what what are you looking forward to? How do you, how are you? Um, how will the new world of People Strong look uh, once we can hop on a plane and be together? Yeah, you know, uh, I'm quite certain um, we will hop onto a plane soon and we will hop onto a plane for uh, a great reason. 80% uh, of the times that I was on a plane in the pre-pandemic world uh, could easily be avoided. Uh, I honestly believe uh, that didn't help me with my health uh, or with my time with my family, let alone me being more productive uh, when I'm taking a red-eye fly, flight uh, and, and drinking a, a liter of Coke just to get past uh, that one day in that, in that foreign location. Uh, so I do believe that, uh, that balance will be wonderful. There is a lot more that we will essentially rely uh, on localizing um, our hiring decisions rather than thinking from our global headquarters in India and in Singapore, we will try and manage most of the locations. We will find better people uh, to guide us in each of those countries. Um, and that's really the way I guess it will, it will stay for us. Uh, we clearly have seen that uh, in the lockdown, if we could grow from four countries to nine countries, um, find new colleagues, 
to be a part of the People Strong family, uh, be able to convince more clients in those geographies that hadn't really seen us physically uh, to come and work for us, trust us uh, in our technology and our promise. I'm quite certain uh, this world has a lot more to offer to everyone uh, than just relying on building trust uh, in a very, very physical environment. Uh, I think that's, again, needed. Uh, again, I'm, I'm not advocating that it's going to be entirely uh, one end of the spectrum. I guess we would have to come into the middle of the spectrum time to time, uh, but for a far more meaningful uh, and, uh, and a beautiful reason. Thank you, Sandeep. Uh, I, I think we've actually gone over time. Um, as always, we get to chat and then we, um, there's much more I could talk to you about, but I really do want to thank you for your perspective that you've brought today uh, to our podcast. And I've really enjoyed the conversation. I hope those that are listening have as well. So thank you once again, Sandeep. I appreciate it. Thank you, Pip. As I, as I just conclude, uh, I would just make one statement uh, about big learning that I've had over the last 24 months is that both fear and hope are very negative emotions because we've always known that about fear, but we never knew that about hope. I fundamentally believe hope also steals us from the now. And I guess professionally, personally, uh, I would strongly suggest that we find more meaning in the present, in the now, as opposed to constantly live in the hope that it's going to be better uh, and so on and so forth. We don't know about that, but the reality is that we are here right now. Let's just make the most of it in every possible way, in every possible role that we are supposed to perform uh, on this theater called The Planet. That's a wonderful way to end. Thank you, Sandeep. I really do appreciate it. Thank you, Pip. Lovely having this conversation with you. That's it for today's episode of Decoding Future Leadership. Thanks for listening. We'd really love to hear how your workplace is combining human capability and HR technology to redesign our hybrid working environments. Please like, comment, share and subscribe to help us create a world of difference. Brought to you by PeopleStrong and Fisher Leadership.